0: All right, y'all. It's great to have everybody here tonight uh, at Awaken as we continue our study through relationship goals. If you have been here the last several weeks or if you've been listening on the podcast, uh, the the last few weeks we've started this series on relationship goals. And two weeks ago, we started by first and foremost talking about our relationship with Christ and how uh, you know the world gives us deceptive things about love and, and what love is. And see, apart from A relationship with Jesus Christ, we can't really be connected to the true source of love. And apart from a relationship with Christ, we can't really understand the true standard of love and what it really looks like. And then last week, Jacob talked on biblical community and talked about how as a biblical community, we're called to stir one another up towards love and towards good works. And tonight we're going to be talking about singleness. Now, I kind of laughed whenever I started thinking about this because... The title of the series is hashtag relationship goals, and we're talking about singleness. So you think, okay, that doesn't really make sense. I mean, I've never seen anybody post a picture on Instagram of themselves and put hashtag relationship goals. I've never seen that. But see, there's, there's an important thing we need to understand about singleness, is all of us are born single, right? And there's an extended period of singleness in our life, and God has ordained this time, so that we can grow and look more like him. God has ordained this time for a specific reason. And see, the problem is in America and, and throughout the world, we have different views of singleness. We have this one side that thinks that if you're single, there's something wrong. This one side that singleness is looked as bad because it means you're damaged goods, or, or singleness means there's something wrong with you, or singleness just means your whole life's pursuit is to go and find the right one. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, We have the side that singleness is what you want. Singleness means liberty. It means freedom. It means you can pursue your own ambitions. You can pursue your own career. Nothing can stand in your way. You get to do what you want to do. Well, the problem is, is that neither one of these is biblical. Both of these miss the mark of what singleness is for. And so whenever we think of singleness, we need to look at what God's word has to say about this. So to do this, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you have a Bible, please turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. Um, But we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And Paul in this chapter talks about, we start talking about principles for marriage. Um, But one of the reasons if you ever do a study on singleness, 1 Corinthians 7 is always going to be brought up because this is one of the rare times in Scripture where we hear direct teaching on singleness Not only do we have direct teaching on singleness, but Paul basically presents this as a better option if you can stand it. A better option if you can handle singleness. And so as we look at this, we need to understand really what's going on. So the first thing that we have to understand going into this is that singleness is a gift. It's not a curse. This is the way we treat it in the South. Singleness is a gift. It's not a curse. Once again, we have this side where we think singleness is bad. Singleness is wrong. Singleness means there's something inherently wrong with us. But singleness is a gift. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 6 and 7. It says this. It says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now, this is really interesting here. Paul is saying that some of us have the gift of singleness. Some of us have the gift of, of marriage. Now, what we don't understand here is we think of the gift of singleness like this, or this is how I've heard it. The gift of singleness is, is those few people that say, you know what, uh, marriage is just not for me, or, or you know, I don't really want to get married, or I don't want to have kids, or the people that say, you know what, my job or what I'm doing, you know, it just doesn't really have a very good family life. And so, it almost seems like singleness is either a byproduct of what you're doing, it just doesn't go well with it, or singleness may be someone who says, you know what, if I want to live for the Lord and go on the mission field, I don't want to put a family through that. Or, and we see Jesus talk about that, the, the people who are eunuchs, he says, by choice. They decide, you know what, I want to be devoted to Christ with everything, and they can handle that. Well, what Paul is saying here, he isn't saying the gift of singleness in that way. He's saying that both of these are gifts, and we have to re I guess you could say, just change the way that we think of singleness and it being called a gift. What I mean is this. I love the way one guy puts this. He says, when Paul speaks of singleness as a gift, he isn't speaking of a particular ability some people have to be contentedly single. Rather, he's speaking of the state of being single. Hear this. As long as you have this, it's a gift from God, just as marriage would be God's gift if you ever are to receive it. We should receive our situation in life, whether it's singleness or marriage, as a gift of God's grace to us. So what he's saying is this. The gift of singleness is the state of being single. In other words, the gift of singleness means there's certain things or certain benefits or certain, I guess you could say, advantages you have as a single person that are gifts to you. I know many of us are thinking like, man, that's the gift that nobody wants, right? Well, 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 here clearly, the gift of singleness is if you're single... You have this gift as long as you are single. Now, if you get married, you have the gift of marriage that God applies to you. And hopefully, this will make more sense as we go. But we understand this, that the gift of singleness is the state of being single. Now, look at what Paul says at the end of the chapter. First Corinthians 7, at the very end, verse 35, which is going to be the premise of this whole message. He says this. I say this for your own benefit. He just talked about being single. I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So what is he saying here? Well, he says that singleness not only is a gift. As long as you're single, this is a gift to you. He says this gift has benefits. This word benefit also means advantages. He says, your singleness is not to lay some restraint on you. Rather, there's a goal in singleness. There's a purpose in singleness. And you want to see why so many relationships and so many marriages don't work. is that the gift of singleness was wasted. The gift of singleness wasn't utilized the way God intends for it to be used. And so the whole idea for tonight, the whole thing we're going to be talking about is this. We're going to look at how singleness is a gift of God's grace by looking at the benefits and advantages of singleness. Let me pray and then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much once again, Lord, just for just for the way you give us your word. God, the way that you tell us it is true. God, it is inerrant. And God, it can pierce our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray tonight that we would hear your word, that we would let it speak to us, God, and that we would respond accordingly. I ask all this, Father, in your name. Amen. So we're going to be talking about the benefits of singleness. So the question is, is what are The benefits of singleness. Because many times we don't really think of benefits. What are the benefits of singleness? Well, the first benefit is this. With singleness comes freedom. With singleness comes freedom. Specifically, we have freedom from many worldly troubles. We have freedom from many worldly troubles. Look with me at chapter 7, verses 25 down to 28. It says this. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment As one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. And this is the main thing I want you to hear here. He says, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And he says, and I would spare you that. Those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. To be honest as I read this I was thinking like okay Paul what are you really trying to say here what are you really meaning and and the more I looked and the more I looked the more I looked the more I found out, he means exactly what he means is life is tough and life can be messy and all of us have problems all of us as individuals have problems can we agree to that I have problems y'all can at least agree to that we all have problems And the problem is, is whenever you put two people together, those problems just got amplified. You bring kids into the mix, those problems just got amplified once again. I was going to say triplified. That's not even a word, but triplified, whatever you want to say. It gets multiplied, the worldly troubles. What do I mean by that? I mean this. How much pain has been brought in people's lives because of relationships? I mean this. How much pain, because singleness wasn't utilized right, do we see divorce causing all kinds of problems in America today? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that, oh, we should be afraid to get married because of divorce. I'm just saying these, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, are results of this. Worldly troubles, we see it. Y'all, just this week, I've talked to multiple of my friends who've had varying problems simply because of marriage. Whether it be difficulties with in-laws or having an in-law. You know, with your family as it is, y'all, this world's tough. It really is difficult. We all will experience tragedy and heartache in some way or another. You get married, you add a whole other group of people into that. Not only that, like I said, I talked to several of my friends. I have one of my friends that, that called Emily this past week and just told us that, that their baby that's supposed to be born, they just found out there's fluid on their brain and most likely the child is going to be born a vegetable. That's tough. How do you handle that? I have one of my best friends, two of Emily's friends that she does supper club with. Both of them were pregnant. Both of them miscarried. This is within the last several months. That's difficult. How do you handle that? I have a friend of mine in Jackson, 38 weeks pregnant. They went into labor early, and the baby was born a stillborn. How do you handle that? Now, I'm not just talking about in relation to kids, but what I'm saying is, Paul is saying this, whenever you put two people together, Problems are amplified. You will have worldly troubles. And in singleness, you are free from a lot of those. That doesn't mean you don't have any troubles. Y'all understand that. But you will have more worldly troubles. You will have more worries. And the next thing he says is you'll have more anxiety. So first, it's freedom from many worldly troubles. The second thing he says is you'll have freedom from many worldly anxieties. Look down a little bit from uh, chapter 7, verses 32 through 34. He says this. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And so we see, he basically says this. The single person can be anxious and put their mind and their devotion to the things of the Lord. But the man who is married, he's got to take care of his wife. He has to worry about his wife. The, the woman that's married, she's got to worry about her husband. And this brings about many anxieties. And really, it can bring about many distractions. Y'all, this And whenever I talk about singleness, I even mean the dating phase. Because in the dating phase, you're still free. I don't mean free to date other people. I'm just saying you're free in the sense that you still kind of can make a lot of decisions on your own. They don't have to be joint decisions in every way. But in the dating phase, you start to see some of these freedoms go away a little bit, or some of these anxieties rise, or some of these things in your mind kind of go away. If you start liking someone, you find how much does that relationship occupy your thinking? How much does that relationship occupy your time? How much does that relationship change something about you? I remember whenever I was student teaching, and I remember it was whenever Emily and I were dating, I, I came up to see her one day, and she saw me, and the first thing she said, she goes, why are you wearing tennis shoes with khakis? I said, I put on khakis, and I looked down, and I said, I got dress shoes, sandals, tennis shoes. Tennis shoes more comfortable. I choose tennis shoes. Like, like that. that's why. I just wanted to wear tennis shoes. She goes, that just doesn't really look very good. And I was like, okay. So what do you? Proposed we do. So she basically baits me into going to the mall, spending money, buying Sperry's. Can't believe they're expensive as they are, but you know, they'll last a really long time. That's the way you get around buying anything. But then I found that my time was going that direction. Well, then you get engaged. You think that dating takes a little bit of your time, engagement takes even a lot more for both the guy and the girl. So just even with engagement, do you realize how much time you'll spend picking out flowers, a venue? You have to spend time with your in-laws. You have to worry about food choices, photography, videography. You spend time with your in-laws. You have candles. You have programs. You have invitations. You have time with your in-laws, if you understand what I'm saying. And so this occupies the girl's brain constantly because she's thinking about these things, and the guy's anxious about them because the girl asks a million questions, and the guy's going, I, I, I don't care, like <laughs> flowers, like whatever, As long as you're there, I'm there, preacher, amen, I do, like, like that's all that we're worried about, right? But engagement even brings about more. I remember whenever we were going to go and and we were going to register, like, all I knew about registering was that there were these things called showers, which I've always found weird in in many ways, but these showers where they're going to come and they're going to buy and they're going to give us all kinds of gifts, and I'm like, sweet, I get to go pick out the gifts they're going to buy us. No, no, it doesn't really work like that, guys. We go there, and we're at the store, and I can remember looking and spending hours over utensils, curtains, decor, bed sheets, and all sorts of things. Some things I didn't even know existed. I'm thinking, what is this for? Like, what are we going to use this for? Actually, whenever we were even going to register, I remember Emily telling me, like, hey, we got to spend time here for a few hours, and then we're going to go to Bath and Body Works for a few hours. And I'm thinking, we're going to be registering for lotion? Like, holy cow, woman, we're going to spend hours in Bath and Body Works? And this stayed the whole way to Monroe, and then we pulled up to Bed, Bath, and Beyond. And I said, Em. You said bath and body work. She's like, oh, yeah, I did, yeah. I was like, this changes the game completely. But anyway, so you have all these anxieties. You have all these worries, and then you get married, and you think the anxieties in your time and your thoughts are being consumed in engagement. Once you get married, guys, there's, there's a word I need you to understand. It's called nesting. Many of you maybe don't know what this is. This is Pinterest. Like, this is what it is, okay? Like, you move into a home, you bring your suitcase, you drop it, and you're like, okay, it is where it is. Girls are like, no, 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 we got to put this here and put this there, put this on the window, worry about these windows here, go get stuff for this, we got to worry about the the, the, the yard, we got to worry about the garden here, we got to worry about all these different things, and you're like, this is occupying so much of my time, taking so much of my money, like all of these different things. Finances, your finances are now between two of you, it's not just one of you. Talking, you got to spend time talking to one another, often like staying in contact, which I know you laugh, but just wait, just wait. You get home and you're like, all I've been doing is talking to people all day. I just went peace and quiet. And then you have kids, and you think anxieties are before that. How many of you like to rest? How many of you like to sleep? How many of you like to come home, and you just keep thinking, whenever I get home, I'm going to go lay on the couch, and I'm going to chill? That's over. Like, literally, that's over. Like, once you have that, by the time you finally get to chill, it's because you're laying on the couch because you're dead at 9 o'clock because you've been up all day. And, and in, in all seriousness, though, these anxieties that Paul are talking about are real. Like, how many of these anxieties come out of people about finances? You want to talk about divorce and things like that or stress? Finances are a big stress factor. I want to provide for my family. You're talking about safety. If I go somewhere and I'm gone, you know what constantly is occupying my thoughts? Or what about my wife? What about my kids? How are they doing? Are they safe? Is everything okay? And Paul's saying this, whenever you are in a relationship, whenever you get married, he says it quite perfectly in, 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 let me see which verse. He says it perfectly in 34. He says his interests are divided. Our interests are literally divided, is what Paul is saying. And so even though we have freedom, Or even though we still have freedom often whenever we're married, what he's saying is singleness, you have certain freedoms that you don't have whenever you're in a relationship. And so we first said that that with, what did I say? Oh, sorry. With singleness comes freedom. There we go. That's it. With singleness comes freedom. Secondly, with freedom comes opportunity. So first, with singleness comes freedoms, and then with freedom comes opportunity. Look at 1 Corinthians 7.35 again. Once again, he says, I say this to your own benefit or to your advantage, not to lay any restraint upon you, but look at what he says, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And so not only do we have freedoms from worldly troubles, not only do we have freedoms from a lot of anxieties, but what he's saying is singleness, you have a benefit and advantage to do two things. He says specifically to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And so with freedom comes opportunity. The first thing, in singleness, we have the opportunity to promote good order in our lives. This literally means to promote what's appropriate. This literally means to use your time wisely, to prioritize wisely, to learn how to discipline yourselves. And you have this in singleness in a way that you really don't in marriage. And in singleness, he's saying this is what you need to be trained to do, to promote good order. He talks more about this. Um, up above, This is actually a summary of what he just said. So look at verse 29 through 31. This is right after he says, Yet those who will marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. Then he says this. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this, lo- of this world is passing Away. Now let me tell you what Paul's not saying. You might read that and go like, oh, he's saying so, just forget about your wife, forget about life in general. No, he's not saying that. Specifically here, he's talking about time. He's talking about perspective. And we see three hints that he gives us throughout this passage in varying degree. In verse in verse 26, he says, Because of the present distress, I want you to live this way. In verse 29, he says, Our time has grown very short. And then in verse 31, he says, the world is passing away. In essence, what Paul is saying is we have limited time, so we must live accordingly. Again, we have limited time, therefore we must be wise in how we use our time. Paul says this in other places, Ephesians 5, 15 to 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Y'all, the truth is this, is that we have so much time as singles. We have so much time whenever we are not busy or being anxious or having to deal with the duties of being in marriage. We have so much time, and this time must be utilized to make sure we have our priorities in order, to work on what is appropriate, to recognize that we need to put our time into time management. We need to put our time into things that are eternal. He gives us really the big translation key in verse 31. Whenever he says that the present form of this world is passing away. This word form can also mean mask. In other words, the present mask of this world or the present form is slowly passing away. And in that he's saying this, that one day we will see worldly things for what they really are. We'll see them for what they really are. Let me give an example. So let's say tomorrow afternoon somebody were to call you. And they were to say, hey, we are with the city hall of Ruston. And what we did is we actually compiled all the residents of Ruston and we put them in a massive bowl and we picked one name and your name just happened to be that name. We're like, great, so what does that mean? They're like, oh, you won $10 million. You'd go, okay, so let me just hang up because this isn't really real. He goes, no, 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 really, you won $10 million, but here's the catch. You've got 10 minutes to claim it or it's not anybody's. My guess is no matter what you're doing, you're probably rushing out you're running to your car, you're getting in your car, and you're driving over there as fast as you possibly can, right? Well, let's say you get a half a mile from the city hall, even though none of you know where the city hall is. You put it in your GPS, and then you're half a mile from the city hall, and you get a massive flat tire, like just a blowout. And so you're stuck on the side of the road. And so you're stuck on the side of the road, you're a half a mile from the city hall, so what do you do? Most likely you get out and you change the tire, right? Right? No, not at all. Not at all. You're right. You don't change the tire. You get out and you run the 800-meter dash as fast as you possibly can. Don't worry about opening doors. You just crash in and say, I'm here, right? And the point is why? Why don't you worry about the flat tire? It's because whenever you put it into perspective, what's the flat tire? Whenever you're running the race that's in front of you, whenever you're running to a certain goal, whenever you recognize what's, primary, what's of primary importance in that moment, like time is dwindling you got to get there. you got to do this, and these little things aren't going to bother you. Matter of fact, I'd leave the car there, go buy me a new car, and drive by it just as a memorial. (laughs) I would. But, y'all, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying our time is short. The present form of this world is passing away. One day we'll look back at our lives and we'll say, man, I missed it. Man, why did I spend so much time worrying about that? Why did I spend so much time being anxious about this? Why did I spend so much time just wasting my time? And Paul's saying, if you could see the true meaning, if you could see what's truly valuable, you would live for what's eternal. And time is short. I love this one scholar. His name is Stephen T. Um, which is a baller last name. Um, I said baller just for Chris. It says this, everything we have as said before is good. Hear this, everything we have as said before is good. The problem is it parades itself around as ultimate, promising to give us everything our hearts desire. While it is good, it is not ultimate. It is not everything, and it will soon be unmasked and proven so. Jobs seem like they are your end-all, be-all. Relationships often seem like they're your end-all, be-all. Education often seems like it's your end-all, be-all. But hear me. These things compared to eternity, these things compared to running this race for Christ are secondary. That's why Paul says, let someone who's married live as if he had no wife. Not because he's literally supposed to live like that. It's, it's in relation to understanding what the true goal is, to running this race for Christ and living for him. Having eternity in perspective, having eternity in view In singleness, we must seek to promote good order in our lives, disciplining ourselves, prioritizing our time well, and focusing on what's important. That's the opportunity we have. Secondly, he says this, In singleness, we have the opportunity to secure an undivided devotion to the Lord. We have the opportunity to secure an undivided devotion to the Lord, which means we have the opportunity to focus on our relationship with Jesus exclusively, and we have the opportunity to make sure we're living in His will completely. We're living for His kingdom purposes completely. Nothing else is honestly hazing our view. Nothing else is getting in the way. We have the opportunity to focus on this relationship and focus on what Christ calls us to do. And this is what he says in in 1 Corinthians 7, 32-34. I won't read it again, where he says, the person who's married has all these anxieties. You're anxious. You can't just be anxious about pleasing the Lord. You have to be anxious about pleasing your wife. You can't just be anxious about pleasing the Lord. You have to be anxious about pleasing your husband. And he's saying your interests are divided. Now, not that this is... A bad thing, but what he's saying is you have a secure devotion to the Lord as someone who is single. You are unrestricted in your devotion to the Lord. You're exclusively in a relationship with Jesus and Jesus alone. Since I've been married, I notice that there's a phrase I say a lot, a whole lot. And the more I realize I say it, the more I kind of laugh about it, because this is what wives train their husbands to say, and I say it every time. If somebody asks me to do something, I always, I promise you, almost always will say, I have to ask Emily first. Or I need to check with Emily first. If someone says, hey, you know, we're going to do this tonight, I'll say, okay, well, let me check with Emily first. Or if there's something that I want to buy, I don't buy really anything without asking Emily first, mainly because she even does the budget, and she keeps me on a tight budget, and so I ask her first. Is this okay? Is this all right? And, you all the truth is this, is whenever you're married, your, your devotion is divided. Like, I have an allegiance. I have a devotion to my wife that's God-given and God-ordained. I can't live as if I'm single and go and do as I please and have un, unhindered devotion to the Lord and Him alone because whenever you're married, biblically, you're supposed to love your wife. Biblically, you're supposed to love your husband. But the truth is this, is whenever you're single, y'all, you are unhindered from having a full devotion to the Lord, from giving Him your everything, for from seeking Him first, from having all of your time, your energy, and your resources, as minuscule as that may be, your resources, all of it can be given to the Lord, completely unhindered. And Paul says this is what you need to focus on as a single. Promoting good order, living understanding time is short. Then having a single, uninhibited Devotion to Jesus, living for Him with everything that you have. In in, in other words, you need to leverage your opportunities for Christ. You need to leverage your opportunity to live for Him. With singleness, we have these benefits. We have the benefits of less worldly troubles, less anxieties, and more time to focus on our relationship with Christ and for His kingdom purposes. But there's a problem here. There's really a big problem. While we may know these benefits, Most of us don't focus our time on this in singleness. Oftentimes, we waste our singleness. And crazy enough, oftentimes, we waste our singleness dreaming and only thinking about being in a relationship or dreaming and only thinking about what if or who you're going to find or what marriage one day will be like or what your house will be like or whatever it may be. And so first we said that with singleness comes freedom. And then we said with freedom comes opportunity. Now, opportunity doesn't mean you're going to seize that opportunity. And so lastly, this, with opportunity comes responsibility. With opportunity comes responsibility. And this is where this question has to be asked. How are you leveraging your freedom for the gospel? If you aren't married and if you aren't engaged, you still have a lot of freedom. You still have a lot of freedom to, to promote yourself to good order. You still have a lot of freedom and singleness to have a singular, undivided devotion to Jesus Christ and him alone. and So the question is, how are you leveraging this opportunity? Once again, verse 35, Paul, Paul says we must promote, use it to promote good order and to secure an undivided devotion to Christ. And so to do this, I want us to look at two things. I want us to look at how are we leveraging our opportunities through two ways. And this is how we'll end. In all of our lives, there should be, there should be times where we look at our lives and see what needs to be taken away, subtraction. And there's times in our lives where we see, need to see what needs to be added to our life in addition, and so of subtraction. I think I actually have this on the screen for you. In subtraction, this is what we're asking: What are we devoting too much attention, energy, and time to? As a single, what are you devoting too much energy, attention, and time to? Now you can ask this at any time, but especially when you're singleness, because most whenever you're single, because most of us, as singles, we waste a lot of time. We get involved in a lot of things that really have no eternal value, and we just kind of coast. And then once we get a relationship, that relationship actually fills all the gaps of extra time that we have in our life. And so subtraction, what do I mean by that? Is I mean this. Just because we're single, it doesn't mean we use our singleness wisely. And so there are many different opportunities. I just want to run through a list. So, so let's say, for example, in your singleness, you have free time. You use a lot of that time to watch TV, to watch Netflix, to play video games. And so now don't get me wrong, I'm not against entertainment. I talk about this often because I think really it's a big problem in our society today. But the question is, is how often do you look at your life and say, am I I engaged too much in entertainment? Am I using too much of my time on entertainment? I say this all the time, five years from now, you're never going to look back and regret not watching that TV show. That's never going to happen. Five years from now, you're never going to look back and regret not playing that video game. You're never going to do that. And so in subtraction, we have to understand what five years from now we're going to look back and say, I don't regret giving that up. And this would be with TVs or Netflix or games. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not against entertainment. I just think we need to discipline ourselves better with it. To give an example, I think for some of us, we can't have it without either playing it or watching it a ton. And honestly, we just need to get rid of it for a season. We need to get rid of it for a time being and realize how much time we really are putting to things that ultimately don't matter. That was the case for me. I had to give up video games. I had to actually sell my Xbox because, honestly, I couldn't have it without overplaying it. Now, TV, it doesn't have the same hold on me. I can watch an episode here, an episode there, two episodes a week, and, like, I'm fine with that. It just doesn't really affect me or bother me. But video games is the exact opposite. Maybe for you, you can control it. But what I want to encourage you is you need to know how much time you spend to that. If you're spending over an hour a day on entertainment, you're wasting a lot of your life, just being honest. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying if you watch a a two-and-a-half-hour movie one night, you're wasting your life. I'm saying that there are times for that, but if that's every day of the week, then you're wasting a lot of your life. So not just with with TV or Netflix or video games, but what about physical appearance? A lot of times when we're single, we devote an awful lot amount of time to make sure we look good so that we don't stay single forever, right? And so we spend a lot of time on physical appearance, worrying about what we eat, using all of our time a lot of times, and energy and resources into making sure we have the right food or making sure we have the right proteins or this, that, or the other. We spend a lot of time at the gym. We maybe spend daily time at the gym. And for some of us, that's become an idol. And we're going to look back and say, man, if I stop working out for a month, I go back to looking like this. If I stop working out for a little while, I'm I'm not going to keep this. Basically, I'm investing in something that's really not going to ultimately matter later on. And so maybe for, for some of us, we need to say, I need to limit myself to three times a week. I need to limit myself to just four times a week. I need to limit myself to just an hour whenever I go. We need to think about subtraction in our life. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's school. For some of us, we think singleness is a moment to chase our ambitions, to chase our dreams. And so we invest all of our time and energy and resources into school. And so for some of us, we need to step back and recognize, you know what? Maybe giving my everything and spending all of my time and energy to make an A instead of a B really isn't worth it in the scheme of things. We need to step back and maybe recognize that, that our lives ultimately don't depend on us wasting every time we have just to school. God can take care of our lives. If we do our best, I'm not saying don't give your best. I'm just saying don't make it your idol, your end-all, be-all, your everything. And some of us need to recognize that that's what we do. We use all of our time towards those things. And then lastly, last I would say this, maybe, and this is just some of the things, maybe it's even a fantasy world. This was whenever I asked Emily, I said, Emily, what's something that maybe you struggled with? She said, I struggle with just thinking about the future. Specifically, she said, I struggle with social media and spending a lot of time on social media and wishing my life was this way or that way or some other way. I struggled with spending a lot of time on Pinterest and thinking, you know what, what, this, what will it look like one day whenever I get married? What will my wedding look like? What will all this look like? And if you think about it, where did the, even the, the name hashtag relationship goals come from? It, it, it comes from social media, right? It comes from spending time and saying, you know, I wish I could have that or I want that. And so a lot of us spend so much of our time thinking about the future. We don't live in the here and the now, and we miss what's going on around us. And so what I want to ask you is, have you thought about subtraction in your life? Have you looked at your life and said, what five years from now am I going to say, I wish I didn't spend so much time doing that? I wish I didn't waste so much time doing that. And how will you discipline yourself and make changes now? I promise you, you won't regret it. But along with subtraction, we can't just subtract. We also must have addition. In addition, I put it like this. You're asking this question. How do we need to learn, serve, invest, and witness more or better? How do we need to learn, serve, invest, witness more or better? What do I mean by learn? I mean this. As a single, you have more time now to invest in your own personal growth than you ever will. Yo, there are times I wish I could just go lock myself in my office and spend a week in there and just read, like just being honest, but I don't have that sort of time anymore. I don't have those opportunities anymore. I wish I had time to go to things like I did whenever I was in college. I used to go to Passion. I used to go to CEC. I used to go to different conferences and different things like that. I used to be a part of Simple Church. I know that's coming up, but now I just don't have the time like I used to, and so I want to ask you, how are you leveraging that time? Are you spending time growing in your relationship with Christ? Are you spending time reading books to grow in your Christian walk? Now, I understand, many of you would say, Merrick, I don't really enjoy reading. But hear it from me. I was the same way. I didn't enjoy reading till I read my first book whenever I was 22. Like, dead serious. My first book, whenever I was a kid and my mom gave me books to read, I'd try and race my sister by just skimming my finger across every single line. Whenever I was 22, I found something whenever I read a book that I actually wanted to read. Man, this is changing me. Like, Some of the things I'm struggling with, this book is talking about. This isn't new. like, People have been through this. And y'all hear me clearly. Many of us who who used to say or who do say, I don't like reading, we don't recognize that we've been told what to read our whole life or forced to read a certain thing our whole life, and we've never actually gone out and said, what do I want to learn about? The first time I picked up a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, I was like, I want to learn more about spiritual disciplines. And y'all, I couldn't get enough of that book. You know why? Because I was interested in it. And so what I'm telling you is, Come talk to me. Maybe you're interested in a certain book. Maybe I can help you pick out one or or look on the Internet for a certain book. But invest time in reading and growing in your walk with the Lord because you have more time to learn now than you ever will. Maybe it's in service. What I mean by that is serving in the church, serving in the college ministry, serving on a campus organization or or serving during the summer. Y'all, there's no other time in your life where during the summer you'll just be able to leave for three months and then come back. Now, don't get me wrong. I know a lot of us have to, have to work and to make money so that we can support ourselves, but for the large majority of us, we can go to a camp. We can serve the Lord in some way. We can go overseas. We can do something that, honestly, once you graduate college, you don't have that opportunity anymore. We need to leverage our opportunity to serve the Lord well. Thirdly, we need to invest. Invest in our family right now. We honestly don't do a good job of that. As college students, a lot of time, once we leave our family, we just kind of leave them. We need to invest in the family that we have. We need to invest in friendships. We need to invest in younger people. We need to invest in, in not as mature believers. We need to invest in underclassmen. And, y'all, part of the problem is this. So many of us are so focused on the future, what's going to be, what could be, what might be, that we don't look around and realize there are people around us who are hurting and just would love friendship. There are people in this room right now that would just love someone who would be an intentional friend of theirs. And a lot of us miss it because we're not looking. It's true. And so what I want to ask you is, are you investing in friendships? Are you investing where you're at? Wherever you're at, we need to be all there. I think that's William Carey. It's one of my favorite quotes. And so invest, and then lastly, witness. Witness. You're In college, you have a unique opportunity. You meet new people all the time. You're in classrooms with new people all the time. You're in a sorority or fraternity. They get new people all the time. You're in an organization that has new people all the time. You're in coffee shops where you see new people all the time. Whenever you're in college, you have the greatest opportunity to witness to people than you ever will have in your life. How are you leveraging that? How are you leveraging your influence in organizations, your influence here, your influence in a fraternity or sorority or whatever it may be? And once again, how are you leveraging your summers or your free time to go and to be a witness for Christ and what He's done for you? Now, the truth is this, is we have to stop looking at singleness like it's a curse because it's not. With singleness, there are tremendous advantages. With singleness, there are tremendous benefits. And we need to leverage that opportunity we have for Christ and for His work. With freedom, comes responsibility, or with freedom comes opportunity, and with opportunity comes responsibility. How are you leveraging that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that as we as we listen to this tonight, as we think about this tonight, as we see what Paul has to say, God, I pray that we would really see the insufficiencies in our life. God, I pray that we would see the areas in our life where we're devoting so much time to and really they don't ultimately matter. And that's all of us, single or not, but especially with singleness, Lord, we have so much time. And so often, God, we just don't manage it very well. We, we spend so much time on the things that really are secondary or, or that really aren't that important. And God, I pray tonight we'd really evaluate our lives. Evaluate what needs to go. But God, also I pray that we would evaluate what we need to add to our lives. What do we need to pursue? What are we not pursuing? You call us to to promote good order, Lord, but you also call us to have a secure devotion to you, unhindered by other things, where we're running this race well for you. And I pray tonight, Lord, we would look at our lives honestly, and we would respond to you accordingly. I ask all this, Father, in your name. Amen. Y'all, tonight I just have two simple questions. They were the questions I asked earlier. I just want you to think about this as as we worship. What are you devoting too much attention, energy, and time to? But once you figure that out, what are you going to change? Hear me again. Look at your life and say, five years from now, what will I not regret stopping? What will I not regret giving up? Because there are things in all of our lives. But also on the other side of that coin, Look back. What will I look back and say, man, I wish I would have spent more time doing that? With this, most likely, it's going to be learning, serving, investing, and witnessing. We're going to look back and say, man, I missed it. I just don't have the time that I used to. I just don't have the influence that I used to. I just don't have the opportunity that I used to. And so I want to encourage you tonight. What needs to be subtracted and what needs to be added? If you want to talk to me about anything, I'll be in the back. Jacob will be in the back if you want to talk to us. I just want to encourage you. Worship. And really think about this. Worship as you feel led.